Hello and welcome back to Know Your Nonsense Podcast. I'm Timothy Holloway. And I'm Riley Judd. And happy holidays happy from the two of us holidays, to you. Happy holidays, all of them. We've got our hot chocolate, we've got our Christmas things that we're going to talk about, and we're ready to have a very special Christmas episode of KYN. Yes, we apologize to all holidays that are not Christmas. We will get you next time. Yes, hopefully. Hopefully. We need to learn a lot about those though. So. I was about to say, we, we're, we're Christmas people and we apologize. Yes. But we will learn eventually, but I'm sure. But also hot chocolate. Oh, We have yes. hot chocolate. We do have hot chocolate, and it is pretty fire. Indeed. It's not homemade or anything. It's We just have low standards for hot chocolate, apparently. It's fine. <laughs> okay, so the way that this special episode of ours is going to work, it's going to work very similar to our pilot, actually. First half, Timothy has a Christmas-related topic yes, that I he do. is going to cover. What is your topic? I am doing... What is the reasoning behind leaving milk and cookies out for Santa? So it's yes. kind of folklore, kind of food, but we're kind of, yeah, we're going to, it. yeah, it's going to be a great time. Mm. Super simple though. So it'll not be much information, easy to take in. And then Riley will pick up after the break with, uh, I'm going to be talking about what makes Christmas media, Christmas media, namely why I consider Bayonetta 2 to be a Christmas video game. It's going to be a wild ride. I, I, it's going to get a little Ted Talky, I apologize, but... Ted Talky? Is, yes. is that a verb? Uh, I made it one. Fair enough. And so, I just try Verbing to stick words with is me. cool. Yes, it'll be, you know, video game, but also some, some narrative design. Right, It's right. very exciting. We're going to talk about Die Hard for all you Die Hard is a Christmas movie fans Yippee out Kaya, there. you know? Yes. <laughs> Gosh, I probably should not have said that if you remember the rest of that line. It's fine. <laughs> what? <laughs> moving on. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> so take it away, Timothy. Why do we leave milk and cookies out for Santa? Okay, so there's a lot of different ideas as to where this came from. None that I've found that really, like, this is officially the reason why. Because it has so many influences from so many oh, different yeah. places. Um, thinking about Christmas, how worldwide it is because mm -hmm. you know there are people that celebrate christmas and celebrate the arrival of santa claus or cinder claus or Père noel or whoever whatever you call him yes. um a lot of people celebrate this in various different ways and so the idea of leaving milk and cookies and just leaving stuff for him and her his horse or reindeer um horse i'm getting to that oh shoot yeah <laughs> i'm getting to i'm getting to the horses um Alrighty. in fact that's where i'll start because one of the oldest things i found goes back to ancient Norse mythology. Ah, the Norse. Yeah, love them. Um, um, so if you know much about the ancient Norse, apart from what you learn in the Thor movies, uh, there's the god Odin, mm -hmm. who, you know, he's a god of wisdom, a god of war. And supposedly in the winter times, he takes his horse Sleipnir, um, an eight-legged horse. Yeah, it's wild. Um, spider horse. Oh, gosh, why'd you have to say that? Spider horse Sleipnir. <laughs> no, not spider horse. More like a horse big rig. A horse 18-wheeler, but with but only eight legs. you just said he was an 8-wheeler. <laughs> no, no. It's fine. Don't think too much about it. Okay. I'm just not going to stand for spider horse. <laughs> uh, continuing, Odin would go out in hunting parties with his horse Sleipnir, and as he would be returning from those hunting parties... Children would decide, ooh, we want Odin to favor us. We want Odin to 
think well of us, and maybe even possibly leave a gift. And so they would leave out hay for Sleipnir or some carrots or stuff like that in the hopes that this would entice the horse to swing by their house, have a little snack, and Odin would be like, ah, what good people. I'm going to leave them a gift of typically some kind of food, as far as I could tell. Okay. Um, and yes, he had a sleigh, so that's kind of a fun thing. But Sleipnir would pull the sleigh by and they would leave out apples, water, hay, stuff like that. And he would leave gifts for the young ones who did this. Now, that is one of the oldest, oldest uh, things that I found relating to this sort of tradition. Hmm. Um, one of the newer uh, versions of this tradition came with the Victorian era. <laughs> newer. <laughs> yeah, no, right? Victorian era. <laughs> well, so if you're not familiar, the Victorian era, Victorian era, wow, words are still hard, man. They are. Um, it's hard as talking. Yes. The Victorian era was... 1830s up until early 1900s and in this era in england it was a very big deal to be hospitable to your guests okay and so there are multiple different um like rules for if you're going to host somebody like for being a host or hostess and one of them that i found was talking about suppers and dinners and snacks and refreshments and specifically how suppers have kind of fallen to the wayside about hosting somebody. So you're not going to serve a supper anymore because, frankly, your guests may not want it. They may have already eaten, whatever. But what you will do is serve light refreshments, such as a drink or a small snack. Oh, perhaps so, a easily accessible beverage such as milk or something. Or something. Or Oh. Yeah. Um, essentially... While the adults would be doing this, they want to make sure their kids are being taught this as well. Oh. So what they did, from what I found in my research, which, again, we ha- we didn't spend too much time researching no, this, really. I will say. Um, but what we found is that the parents would have their kids do this for Santa Claus. They would leave them out something, just a snack of some kind, or something for the reindeer or horses, as a way to practice their hospitality. Because they believed this was a very vital thing to do. But these children in Victorian England weren't preparing for Odin at this time as much as they were for a different being that they had heard about, known as Sinterklaus to the Dutch, who is a kind of representation of the Saint Nicholas that lived back in 3rd century Greece. And his now, name again? Sinterklaus. Sinterklaus? Which is a, uh, eventually going to be kind of falsely... Um, Translated? Called, yeah, translated. That's the word. <laughs> as Santa Claus. Um, translated. Hell, you know. Mike um, does psych damage. Yeah, Sorry, guys. It makes us forget words. It does. That's for real. Um, but, essentially, uh, the Dutch believed that the saint who... I would like to do an episode on Santa Claus eventually. That could be fun. That could be really fun. Maybe next Christmas special. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but they believed in St. Nicholas who would come and bring them gifts and such. And so... This hospitality concept was also very important to the Dutch. And so they would possibly give what they called cookie, or what they called cookies. wasn't quite the same thing. It's even spelled different. It's like regular cookie, but instead of K-I-E, it's K-E-Y. It, it's a wild time. Like, pretty sure that's, I'm great. pretty sure that's the spelling of the, the, the ogre chef from uh, Shrek, for, Shrek Forever After. I don't think I've ever seen that one. 
Y'all ever only showed me the first three. <laughs> oh, yeah. Timothy doesn't appreciate good culture. <laughs> I do appreciate good culture. That's why I haven't seen Shrek's Shrek. important. Anyway, not important. I don't know if it's actually spelled the same. There's just... Yeah, no. I know there's and an order. I'm sure Shrek is great. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't say that it's not good culture. We're getting derailed. We are getting very derailed. Continuing on. But uh, in the Dutch culture, their cookies were a popular form of gift. Okay. And so as this would continue to migrate around the world... And as it came to America, right, that cookie being a gift sort of thing in that tradition of leaving things out for Santa Claus or Santa Claus, they kind of got merged. Oh, okay. And so while Santa might have been chomping on, you know, gingerbread cookies or whatever, or fruits even possibly, Mm -hmm. in America, it eventually moved to being, oh, yeah, leave a cookie. Leave a cookie for Santa Claus because why not? Why not? But then it takes on an even more different meaning in the Great Depression. Okay. So as we reach the Great Depression, things get tough, right? No. Oh, come on. (laughs) Yes, things were very tough in the Great Depression. (laughs) But, of course, parents would still try and make Christmas, you know, special. Right. And a part of all of that, adding on to whatever they believed, whether they were celebrating the birth of baby Jesus or... Whether they were just celebrating Christmas as a cultural event, because people do that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they believed that their children should be willing to say thank you in some way. Right. This idea that they should be willing to say thank you um, to Santa Claus kind of bred the idea that, or continued to breed that idea of, yeah, let's leave something out for him. And something that was easy to make, like cookies, did not take as many ingredients. Yeah. They could do that. Okay. Um, and it wasn't always milk, you know. It still isn't always milk. But they would leave out this sort of treat for Santa or carrots and hay for his reindeer. Which, the whole thing of the reindeer, we can get more into that uh, in the actual Santa Claus episode we talked about possibly having in the future. Because that there's a whole big thing about where the reindeer came from, where the horse came from. and Yeah. Because some versions still have the horse pulling a sleigh. Oh. Or a team of horses. The spider horse. No, not the spider horse. No, not spider horse. It's not a spider Spider horse. Spider horse. Spider horse. That's copyright. (laughs) I'm not sure we can say that. I mean, it's a parody. It's fine. That's true. Okay. But no, it's not spider horse. Okay. Whatever. We're not going to get into the where Sleipnir came from because I'm pretty sure it's a child of Loki. And that's just a whole box of words. That's a lot of mythology. It's fun. Folklore. Woohoo. All this to be said... In the 1930s, you know, height of the Great Depression, leaving cookies out for Santa became a way to say thank you, or for, you know, a lot of kids, a way to bribe them, because... Right, yeah. to get the presents. <laughs> Big man's coming around to leave gifts. Yeah, they're going to try and bribe them a little bit. That happens. Right. But it's fine. It's fine. Every kid does it at some Bribery. Point. But continuing on, the tradition has sort of stayed strong kind of taking on a mind of its own, just getting further and further ingrained into culture until studies have shown that it's not just kids who are doing this, but parents and guardians who don't have kids are deciding to leave gifts and presents and such out for Santa. Oh, yeah. It's a great time. So wholesome. So great. And depending on the culture you talk to, it'll be something just for Santa. They'll still add stuff for the reindeer. And sometimes I found somewhere where it said, actually, the stockings hanging by the fireplace was a sort of nod to it wasn't supposed to be santa putting stuff in the stockings 
it would be you putting stuff in the stockings for Santa. Oh. That's where the the treats and stuff were kept. Okay. So like fruits and stuff. Right. You would leave fruits in there and Santa would come by and eat them. Oh, I remember the part I missed. What? So sometime, hmm, here we go. Here we go. If you remember seeing on our Instagram, it was posted that the Germans were the first to come up with the modern concept of a Christmas right. tree. Right. I yeah. found that. Yeah, he did. It was wonderful. It was very good. Uh-huh. Follow um, our Instagram. <laughs> yeah, follow our Instagram, KYN Podcast. But it was originally called a paradise tree. And part of that was to be decorated with candles and such. Yes. A fire hazard, but it's Wasn't fine. it? It was also like allegedly uh, Martin Luther was the first one to put candles in a tree. I think I remember seeing that. Somewhere. Yeah, it was yeah. something like he was like seeing stars above pine trees and was like, wow, this is gorgeous. And he tried to recreate it with candles. What a good guy that Martin Luther. Wow. Yeah. But essentially, another decoration that was added onto this tree was some little cookies and treats and stuff. Okay. And so the legend has it that people would do this around Christmas time and then they'd wake up and there would be little bites missing. Mm. So Santa Claus would have been hungry and come down the tree and seen these little treats and taken a little nibble for himself because, you know, you can. Yeah. Why not? And then he'd leave. And so people thought, oh, we're going to keep doing this. Now, eventually, they found out that this was also bringing in rodents. So, uh, so they don't want to do that anymore. Probably stopped. <laughs> yeah, change it to more of the traditional ornaments that we know about now. Right. But that is another spot where this sort of leaving treats for Santa kind of flourished, I guess, is the word we're looking for there. All righty. But throughout the world, this is still going on, and it depends on where you are, which will dictate what you leave. In some cultures, like uh, we talked about St. Nicholas a little bit. Yep. He has a feast day. It's actually mm-hmm. December 6th. That's not the 25th. So it's a little bit different from the Santa Claus. But right. It's not uncommon for, or it wasn't co- uncommon for children uh, preparing for this feast to leave things out for them because they had to go to bed earlier. Yeah. yeah. Not a big deal. But that was, St. Nicholas would come by and deliver food and gifts to the poor and weary. And they thanked him by leaving a little bit for him. So apart from the Dutch leaving things out for this feast of St. Nicholas, uh, you have other traditions that I read about, like, the Irish apparently sometimes leave out a pint of Guinness for Santa Claus. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, why not? Uh, the French I read about leaving some different kinds of wine, I believe it was. Okay. And yeah, it just changes wherever it is because it's such a global tradition that each <laughs> culture will just influence it that little bit. Alrighty. And when you think about it, Santa's not the only mythological being that we do this for. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about your history way back in the day. Why were people trying to uh, have sacrifices? to appease these supernatural beings that they didn't know how to appease, to thank them or to bribe them in a way. Like we talked about Santa. Right. We still see this. And side note, I'm saying this loosely because I don't know much about these firsthand, but like talking with my old uh, Spanish teacher back in high school, I remember her telling us about people leaving food and such uh, out for Day of the Dead to give as gifts to their dead relatives. Bro, you know this. You watch Coco. You're right. You're right. But it's a similar idea of giving that supernatural being uh, these sort of gifts of food to either guide them or help them or appease them. So, yeah, we see this in a lot of different cultures. But Santa Claus is one that is very near and dear to a lot of people that we decided to talk about today. So, yeah. Fascinating stuff. That is, in a nutshell, very large nutshell, how... The milk and cookies concept came to be. All started with a spider horse. 
Gosh, please stop calling him the spider horse. <laughs> what is his name again? Sleipnir. Sleipnir the spider horse. No, just the horse, the eight-legged horse. It makes me so happy. Yikes. But no, I think it's really interesting how the gifts would like change over time. How it started out with hay for spider horse and then Sleipnir. Sleipnir the spider horse <laughs> and then we got some fruits and some other goodies and some yeah. cookies and trees and then we got just cookies because that's what we can make and then we have other things. Right, yeah. And it's a good representation of people taking what they have and taking what they can to give back and just going ahead and doing it. Yeah. It's really... And it's, it's again, really interesting because sometimes uh, you can almost forget that, you know, this is an international holiday where nobody really celebrates Christmas exactly the same. Right. And so, you know, like, you know, take it in Australia right now. It's summer. So, you know, you got Australians Christmas, which they have summer things while we over here have winter things. So it's just to see the different cultures using their things, what Christmas is for them at Christmas time and running with it. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. It makes me really want to actually experience a Christmas in a different culture. You I know, know yeah. Like, just to see how it like goes. That'd be so cool. I know. If Seems... anyone wants to send us to Europe to experience a European Christmas, <laughs> let us know. Go fund me. We'll set it up. <laughs> can we do that? No, cool. no, no, we're no, not we going to do that. Yeah, no, we're not going to do that. But yeah, no, it's a great time and makes me want to try out some Christmas traditions. Yeah. It'll be fun. And also the delivery methods of these different, you know, treats. I know. See, like, okay, the, you saying that the stockings, like, were right. originally to keep stuff in and he would take them out and then we switched it to where we put stuff, like, he put stuff in. Same thing with shoes. Apparently, children used to stuff their shoes full of hay for the horses or reindeer that were pulling the sleigh. Oh, really? So he would come in, take the hay out of the shoes and, you know. Take it after the horses. Personally, I feel like that would make your feet itch like no tomorrow because mm, hey, yeah, but hey, know. more, mm, <laughs> hey, more power to you. Hey, oh puns. gosh, okay, yeah. Always intend your puns, kids. Always, and if you don't intend them, pretend like you do. <laughs> pretend, exactly. Intend. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that's that's all we've got for that. So we're gonna take a little break. Yes, and. From there, it'll be on to Bayonetta and, and Christmas, Christmas narratives. Par- what you call it? Uh, we'll be talking about Christmas narrative construction. That's the words. So, Christmas narrative design. Exactly. Will. Yes. So we will be back after this short little break. Stay with us. Yes. back did you miss us we do this every time but i never get tired of saying we missed you we missed you all all righty so it's bayonetta time hit me with it let's go okay so (laughs) as a disclaimer we'll first talk a little bit about what bayonetta is to give some context here so bayonetta is First off, an M-rated game. So right. if M-rated games are not really your style, we're not really going to get into why it's an M-rated game and all that stuff. But, you know, it, you might not want to go play this one or look it up or whatever. Right, depending on where you're at with right. that sort yes. of sensibility. So, you know, spoilers, Bayonetta has 
M-rated stuff in it. So anyway, Bayonetta uh, is a hack-and-slash beat-em-up game from Platinum Games that was released in 2009. It was very critically acclaimed when it came out. It follows the Umbran witch, Bayonetta, as she beats up anybody and everybody who gets in the way of whatever her goal is at the time. It is, yes, mindless fun. It's full of charm, full of sass, full of wisecracks. It's very fun. And everybody thought so when it got released. It was released, as I said, in 2009 on the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, and it was very critically acclaimed. And of course, when you have a game that was critically acclaimed, what do you do? You start the sequel. Well, poor Platinum, they've never had much luck with sequels, and they were struck by the sequel curse once again. So their publisher for Bayonetta was Sega. So Sega was the one helping with a lot of the funding. Well, at the time, Sega was not doing fantastic in the financial department, so a lot of game projects were getting cancelled. And... One that got put on the chopping block was Bayonetta 2. And so Sega laid them off, and it didn't look like Bayonetta 2 was going to get made. In swoops, the left-field player that nobody expected to come into play, Nintendo, of all people. Nintendo came up to them and said, Hey, we will be your publisher for Bayonetta 2 on the condition that Bayonetta is a... Nintendo exclusive from now on, so any further Bayonetta games are only going to be released on Nintendo systems. Which, of course, Platinum accepted. Because it's either it's a Nintendo exclusive right, or it's not getting made. Yeah, it kind of makes the choice kind of easy there. Yeah, uh, it did upset some fans because, you know, if you owned a PlayStation 3 or an Xbox 360, you most likely did not own a Wii U, which was the system at the time. I mean, most Nintendo people didn't own a Wii U, so they're not going to own one. (laughs) But anyway, later down the line, now we have the Switch, and Bayonetta 1 and 2 are on the Switch, so it is more accessible than it has ever been. But that is what it is, but we're here to talk about why I believe that Bayonetta 2 counts as a Christmas game. So this is in the same vein of why Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So it's the same kind of argument, discussion, that kind of thing. Which, can we go ahead and throw this in? If you think, if you have strong feelings about if Die Hard is or isn't a Christmas movie, let us know. Yes. Like, straight up, go on the social medias, the comments of whatever podcast service you listen to. Let let us know. Yes, please. I'm curious. And I will be throwing in my two cents, of course, because it's will. relevant here. Right. But only so, if you do, because we, we don't want to start the conversation. We want you to. Or well, I guess we're starting we're the conversation. We're about to start now. the conversation. You're right. That's fair. <laughs> anyway, so admittedly, I need to go ahead and say this now. I'm a little biased because I really love Bayonetta and Bayonetta 2. It's one of my favorite games. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. It actually has some very glaring flaws. However, I think it's very good. Yes, it's fine. So, before we get into why Bayonetta is a Christmas game, we gotta gotta discuss what makes something a piece of Christmas media. Of course. Yes, so this is something that can go into movies, books, plays, TV shows. It most often comes up about movies, it feels like. You know, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Everybody has heard that question at least once. And that is usually followed by a much more contentious question of, is It's a Wonderful Life a Christmas movie? 
It's a good question. Yes. And, you know, it brings up the questions of what makes a Christmas movie. You know, does it have to take place during Christmas? How much of the movie has to take place during Christmas? Does the story have to revolve around Christmas? Does the thematic elements and motifs need to center around the holiday? Now, there's a lot of problems with this because, as we've already discussed, Christmas means different things to different people, and it has different elements, different motifs, depending on where you live. Like I mentioned, it's summer in Australia, so right. they might not necessarily always have the snow motif that uh, we put in our medias. I don't. I, I didn't look up any Christmas Australia media. I'm a failure. Does, I'm does sorry. Does Australia get snow? I don't know. Neither do I. Australia, do you get snow? Let Please us let us know. We're, we're confused. Anyway, so I have decided, though, that we are approaching the discussion wrong. Because we all want a black and white answer. Is this a Christmas thing or is it not? And that's silly. It's much more like a spectrum, a scale. Because you can make almost anything a Christmas movie, depending on the criteria you use. And the way I like to do things is you have criteria, and if something meets any of the criterias, then yes, it falls on the spectrum. It will just be on the lower side. But if it hits more of the criterias, then it becomes higher on the spectrum. Makes sense. Yes. So I'm going to present to you my three criteria of what makes a Christmas piece of media a Christmas piece of media. And Bayonetta 2 hits... All three, making it a top-tier Christmas piece of media. So, what are my three criterias? Well, I'm glad you asked. So, my three criterias are, does it take place during Christmas? Does any portion of it take place during Christmas? It's a pretty good criteria yes, for Christmas media. indeed. But it's important to note that any portion, it doesn't have to all be in Christmas, just any portion. So, the last scene of It's a Wonderful Life? Yes, it's a Christmas movie, because it took place during Christmas. The very last scene of the movie Cheaper by the Dozen, it's a Christmas scene. That's a Christmas movie. Toy Story. Yep, Toy Story. Boom. Christmas movie. So that criteria makes these things low-spectrum Christmas movies if it just fulfills that. Next, is Christmas essential to the plot of the story? Now this one's going to require a little bit of explaining, but we'll get to it. And finally, and probably the most important, is are there any thematic elements that are highlighted by the Christmas element of the story? So, how does this apply to Bayonetta? Well, let's start with, is any part of it during Christmas? Yes, the entirety of it takes place in a 24-hour period between Christmas Eve and Christmas. So, somewhere it starts somewhere in between in the afternoon of Christmas Eve, and will end somewhere during Christmas, for the majority of the time. There's a prologue to the game, which takes place at a indiscriminate period of time. We don't know when it is. And then the end of the game is a epilogue, which takes place around after the holidays, because Bayonetta is catching up on the after-holiday sales. So, yes, it takes place during Christmas. Then, is Christmas essential to the plot? 
Well, what is the plot of Bayonetta 2? I'm glad you asked, Timothy. Thank oh, you yes. so much. Oh, hey, Riley. Huh? What's the plot of Bayonetta 2? Oh, dude, I got you. All right. Okay, so in Bayonetta 2, as I mentioned, our main character is Bayonetta, who is an Umbran witch. So in this world, there are three realms of reality. So you have, you know, our realm, Earth, which is, technically speaking, the realm of chaos. Yes. I mean, that's makes sense. Makes sense. Anyway, then you have the other two realms, which are Paradiso and Inferno, which is where, you know, it's based on the myths of heaven and hell. Or, not myths, but you know what I mean. Yeah, the beliefs. The beliefs of heaven and hell. So, anyway, witches are aligned with the denizens of Inferno, while their counterpart, Lumen Sages, are aligned with the members of Paradiso. Okay. They don't get along, needless to say. So, Makes sense. agents of Paradiso are always trying to come and hunt down Bayonetta. Hmm. So, the game starts with Bayonetta out doing Christmas shopping for a Christmas party that she is hosting. And she runs into Enzo, who is this foul-mouthed, portly man that she knows, and she's forcing him to chauffeur her around. You then run into Jean, who is another Umbran witch, friend of Bayonetta's, who comes into town also shopping for the Christmas party. Well, while they are out, there is a Christmas jet flight spectacle going on, and one of the jets gets hijacked by agents of Paradiso in an attempt to kill Bayonetta. So Bayonetta judo kicks the plane back into the sky, and then a fight on top of the jet ensues. Subtlety is not their strong suit, is it? No, it is the perfect example of a campy game, which means it's gratuitous and over-the-top and super over-exaggerated, but intentionally. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's just meant to be a fun time. Okay. You know, it's not really meant to be overanalyzed. As I say about to completely overanalyze Bayonetta, it's fine. (laughs) So, anyway... The way they tend to tell story in a Bayonetta game is it's a combination between cutscenes, so pretty animated scenes that happen within the game, and then playable fight sections. Right. So we had the cinematic opening with Bayonetta Christmas shopping, and now we go into fight scenes. In this fight scene, Jean eventually appears to assist Bayonetta, and Bayonetta's main method of attack is her Wicked Weave, which basically she uses her hair to summon people she has contracts with in Inferno to help her fight. And so this is how she tends to finish off any more powerful agents of Inferno, which she does per the standard of Bayonetta 1. However, she summons a dragon in this case named Gamora, and Gamora escapes she breaks out of the summon and attempts to kill Bayonetta. That's unfortunate. Yes, but Bayonetta does not die because Jean does the classic push out of the way of the bus Oh, and gets hit herself. And so, because Jean is also an Umbra witch, uh, when Umbran witches die, their souls are brought into Inferno. And so, so Jean is just dead. Bayonetta eventually defeats Gamora, and... The plot officially kicks in because Bayonetta, you know, she has her dead friend's body, who she knows herself is in, Infer- in Inferno and says, nah fam, and is going to march herself to the gates of Inferno, the real gates of hell, 
and just walk down in there and get John's soul back. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Like you do. Like you do, as one does. She has 24 hours to do so before Jean's soul is completely absorbed. So, does this make Christmas essential to the plot? Now, this is where the caveat comes in. Because unless your story is completely centered around the idea of Christmas, then no, it's not essential to the plot. Take the movie Home Alone, for example. Right. They did not have to be going on vacation for Christmas. They could have been going on any vacation and still have left him at home alone. Now, you would have had to find new ways for the mom not to be able to get home because flights are booked, but you could rewrite Home Alone to make it not a Christmas movie. However, what I mean when I say it's relevant to the plot is, did the fact that it was Christmas time influence the outcomes of the narrative? So in Home Alone's example... While you could rewrite it, the one we got, it was Christmas time, and they left because they were going on Christmas holiday, leaving him home alone. Therefore, it's essential to the plot. In this, it's a little contrived, but bear with me. Okay. So, it's all, this all spans from Bayonetta and John shopping for that Christmas party. Because we do not know where Bayonetta lives. We, she, we've never seen her at a home. The closest thing we get is she has an arms dealer named Rodan who owns a bar called the Gates of Hell. And we see them in there and that is the closest we get to, I guess, a place of sanctuary for Bayonetta. All we know is that she has never been attacked by an angel or any other member of Paradiso while in the Gates of Hell. So we can assume her house, her place of dwelling, wherever that is, is of similar safe areas. And they distinctly make a comment about how Jean tends not to go out into the city. It's a rare occurrence to see her out and about, which they do, because she's looking into something, as she puts it, but also shopping for this Christmas party. So if it was not Christmas, they would not have been having this Christmas party, they would not have been shopping, they would not have been attacked by agents of Paradiso, and Jean would not have died. What? Which means that Bayonetta would never have had a reason to go to the gates of hell to get Jean back. Which, while she is going to save Jean, there's world-ending stuff that's happening around her that she gets involved in because it's in the way of her main objective, as per a Bayonetta game. So, is it essential to the plot? By my definitions, yes. So we are two for two. But now we got to get to the most important part, in my opinion, which is the thematic strengthening that comes with making it at Christmas time. So the term that I like to use for this, I invented it a couple of hours ago, is thematic contextualization. Dang, that sounds kind of like a dope term. I know, I think it sounds very that. official. <laughs> So what I mean when I say thematic contextualization is there are certain thematic elements that are heightened depending on the setting of the story. So this is why some movies feel a little tonally off when the setting does not match the themes that they are trying to present. Sometimes this can be an advantage because you can use that for juxtaposition, but sometimes it just makes things feel off. And that's generally why if you have a particular theme that you are going for, you tend to pick an appropriate setting. So 
when it comes to Christmas medias, is there any themes in the work that are heightened by the fact that it is Christmas time? Going back to Home Alone as an example, you know, the theme of family and wanting to be with your family that is heightened by it being Christmas time. It could still have been there if it was any other time of the year. Right, but at Christmas time, everybody is pushing you, oh yeah, spend time with family. Yes. In that case, he couldn't. He couldn't. So that's heightened. Yes. So if they ever align with the themes that are generally aligned with Christmas, such as family, kindness, gratitude, then they will be heightened because the story is set in Christmas. So, what themes in Bayonetta are heightened? Well, I know I'm like one of the five people on the planet who actually care about Bayonetta's story. Nobody goes to Bayonetta for story, but I think it's a pretty good one, especially in Bayonetta 2. So, it doesn't have much themes. Like I said, it's a beat-em-up, it's just meant to be mindless fun, where you're just plowing through enemies that are way bigger than you, that you should have no reason to be able to beat. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But there are a few themes that the game does touch on in its narrative, such as, you know, choice, free will, truth, history, revelation. These are all things that are brought up in this relatively short narrative. While you can get dozens upon dozens of hours out of this game, the actual narrative doesn't take that long to get completely through. But the one that I want to focus on when it comes to Christmas is one we discussed with Home Alone, family. So in Bayonetta, she doesn't have any real family anymore. Her mother died in some witch hunts because she was also a Umbran witch a bunch of years ago, and her dad is dead as well. So now her family is her friends and confidants. Rodan, the bartender and arms dealer, Enzo, the loudmouth friend, She has a reporter friend named Luca, who's often following her around for a story and usually getting into trouble. And most importantly, Jean, her Umbran witch sister. So, the fact that Jean dies and that she needs to get Jean back on Christmas is an important element that strengthens the tension of the story. So, Bayonetta as a character... She is very charismatic, sly, cheeky, she's a smart aleck, she's she's got a British accent, her voice actress, I meant to look up her name, I did not, I am so sorry, look her up, she's incredible, she does an incredible job, but she's just oozing charm and charisma. She doesn't really do melodrama, and this is to the game's benefit, because whenever she does do drama, it really works because you know it's serious because Bayonetta is being serious. But that being said, in normal conversations with enemies or other people she meets along the way, she has to mention how she is in a great hurry to get to Jean because she only has 24 hours. But she's not just going to say she's in a hurry to get to Jean because that's not in character. She's not going to be like, I have to go save Jean. No. She has to have a reason because she's an umber witch and they're supposed to be cold and deal makers. And so they often reference the Christmas party. So she makes remarks like, I have a friend who's got to be with me at the Christmas party or we got to make it to the Christmas party on time. Can't be late. It's just all about that Christmas party and it's Christmas and we got to get the caviar and it's not Christmas without caviar. That is an actual line from the game. 
It's a great line. That sounds like a great uh, line. <laughs> I loved it. Well, he can't have Christmas without caviar. Anyway, so it fits the characterization of Bayonetta, but it also is a bit of a thematic poke because every time that Christmas party is mentioned, you remember, oh yeah, Jean's dead. And if we don't get to her soul in time, she's gone. Game over. There's no getting her back. And so while you are beating up bunches of enemies and there is a completely different narrative going on, world-ending narrative, as you are trying to get to the Gates of Hell, it's just subtle enough that if you want to focus on it, if you want to focus on these themes, then you can feel them because that is her only family and you can feel the tension that she has to save Jean. If you feel these little nudges that are centered around it being Christmas. So, in my opinion, while it's not much because Bayonetta does not put much focus on their more serious tones, it's heightened just that much more by the fact that it is at Christmas time, as good pieces of Christmas media do. So, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Bayonetta counts as a Christmas piece of media, and it is one of, if not the best examples, of a Christmas game. Because, historically speaking, Christmas games, it's a pretty low bar to beat, so it's not saying much. There's none. There's actual, like, you know, Christmas-themed games where you're, like, playing a Santa, they tend to be unlicensed and raging dumpster fires, such as Days Before Christmas and Elf Bowling. Don't look up either of those games. They are not worth your time. And past that, it's usually, you know, downloadable content or events that happen for online games. But Bayonetta stands as a narrative, plot-driven piece of media in the gaming world, on par with things such as Die Hard in the movies as a Christmas piece of media. Dang. Yeah. Sounds pretty Christmas to me. Like, See, I've never played this game, but the way you're describing it, it makes sense. It like, makes sense if you're looking for it. Fair. So as I said, I'm like one of the five people on the planet who care about the lore of Bayonetta and the, the narrative of Bayonetta. So... The Christmas elements, as I said, they're just gentle pokes. The most you get after the initial first chapter, like that section where they are shopping for the Christmas party, it's only ever just kind of mentioned. So if you're looking for like a fa-la-la-la-la family time kind of piece of Christmas media, this ain't it. Yeah, that doesn't sound like (laughs) No, in fact, most of the game does not take place in any Christmas-looking locations. The first one, it's pretty Christmas-looking. It's snowing. It's The city that she lives in is kind of a... It's almost like a version of New York, you know, a fictional version of New York. So cities, and they got Christmas lights up. Okay, yeah. There's some snow. But the Gates of Hell are located on a mountain called Fimbleventer. I'm guessing you're talking about the actual gates. Yes, the actual the Gates bar. of Hell, not the bar. Okay. Yeah, the actual Gates of Hell are located on a mountain called Fimbleventer, somewhere in the east, and it's a very Venice-looking city. There's a lot of water, a lot of cobblestone, there's sun. Sounds nice. Yes, but uh, because on the way up the mountain, she is attacked by everyone. Inferno members, Paradiso members, unaffiliated members, 
she is attacked by literally everybody. Uh, there's usually some destruction. Oh, no. So it, it, it starts to get a little apocalyptic. And then, because I've been trying to keep this a little spoiler free because I think Bayonetta is incredible. And if you want to play it, play it. It's a good game. But later, you leave that setting as well and you go to a much darker, almost gothic setting. So I love that gothicness. Yeah. So, but there's very little that looks Christmassy about it. But that's why I, I kind of equate it to Die Hard because it's like this is not what you would think of when you think of Christmas media. But but it it's fitting these categories when you when you look at it. Yeah. Okay. So, gotta say that's been going through my head this entire time. Yes. Iron Man three. Yes, Christmas that's, movie. I I read a lot of articles. Uh, I didn't save any of them. I'm so sorry, but you can Google yourself. Bayonetta two Christmas, Iron Man three gets brought up. I mean, looking at your um, three criteria, the taking place at Christmas time. Yes. What, what was the second one? How'd you word that? Uh, is it essential to the plot? Essential so, to the plot, and then I just love saying this thematic contextualization yes Ooh, that just has a good ring to oh, it yes um you should tell your film professor about that He'll i know love that thematic um, contextualization am i in the film community am i in the media community yet just all uh, of them yes. at once oh, gosh but yeah thinking about it it kind of fits like yeah yeah it takes place at christmas time it, the second one um how uh it, is it essential to the plot it's not quite there I'm not sure. And that's why the caveat is kind of important. It's just, is anything in the movie, does any action, does anything that pushes the narrative forward happen in direct relation to it being Christmas time? Which, it's been a while since I've seen Iron Man 3, but I think it fits. It's it's very loosely fitting, if anything. Uh, But definitely the thematic contextualization, especially at the very end with the suits and everything, that fits very well there. Yes. Uh, but like I said, it is a spectrum, and so you can add criteria. You can take away with some of my criteria if you think they're stupid. So, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. but it's all a spectrum. Exactly. That's really interesting. I'm gonna start looking at different Christmas movies like that now. Exactly. So, like, based on my criteria, because I didn't really dive that deep. I mean, let us know what you think fits my criteria as a Christmas movie. Yeah, something that may surprise us. Yes. Goodness, we're gonna have to like start putting polls and questions out on our instagram I know. or something we I got a lot of questions stuff. for this one and <laughs> i know <laughs> but uh, anyway that's milk and cookies and band out of two yeah as a christmas game i almost called it a movie it's not a movie it wasn't a game either it's just an episode what oh wait Bayonetta 2 yeah, is Bayonetta a game. Yeah, Bayonetta 2. Oh, I thought you said our episode was a game. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, uh, no, Our episode not. is an episode. It's, it's great. It's an episode. Wink, wink. So, yes, a couple non-suspicious winks there. Non-suspicious nudges. Be um, on the lookout or something. I don't what? know. What? Oh, look out for what? I, I, I don't know what we're talking about. I, we um, don't know nothing. We've got episodes coming to uh, New Year's. Later. 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 New Year's. But also later. But later. But anyway, so this is our Christmas episode for you. We hope to have many more in the future. Many more. So let us know what you think. Remember those questions. Yeah, I'm not sure we actually mentioned this one at the time, but let us know if you leave out anything special for Santa or any other mythological being of your choice. Yes. Um, I don't know if you're trying to appease Krampus or something, but, you know, <laughs> do Krampus. your thing. 
Um, but yes. let us know if you think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Die Hard, it it is a Christmas movie. I'm saying it. I'm locking it. Honestly, in. I, I think it is. Too. And It's a Wonderful Life is a yes. Christmas movie too. We can all coexist. I agree. Although, okay, one that I'm not sure has much debate against it. Miracle on 34th Street. That was actually released in the middle of the summer. Yes. Did you know that? Yes, I knew that. But also, who's on trial? Oh, I know. I said I don't think it has much debate against it, but it's oh. just an unsuspecting <laughs> ha Christmas no. movie in the middle of the summer. I mean, yes, but also no. There's no debate because exactly. yeah, it's Santa. Yeah, no, I know, <laughs> I know that it, there's no debate. All right. Yeah, which that is another criteria that some people put on. Is it released yeah. at Christmas time? Right. So. Which, if you do the spectrum thing, then you know maybe it's not. But again, it's a spectrum. Yeah. It can still be more on the Christmas side of things. Exactly, and. As a caveat, this is not sponsored, nor is my, speaking of Bayonetta 2 sponsored, but Pixar Soul comes out today, and animation is important, and go watch it. Oh, gosh, yes. I'm so excited to see that. Yes. Not yes. sponsored. Not important. Sponsored not sponsored. Disney, but also We're sponsor not sponsored us. by anybody no, we, at this point. No, we it's... make zero dollars, yeah. so, but Disney sponsor us. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Anyway, so thank you for tuning into our Christmas episode. Follow exactly. us on all of the social medias. We yes. are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, The Works. It's all yeah. KYN podcast. We're even starting up like we're starting up some other stuff. More details on that later. Exactly. But right now, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Email us at kynpodcast.gmail.com if you have questions or you want to tell us discreetly. How we got everything wrong in this, and that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, and that It's a Wonderful Life is not a Christmas movie, and Bayonetta is trash. Feel free to tell us. Feel free to tell yes, us. We'll it's listen. Okay. It's fine. Yes. Otherwise, keep an eye out for our next episodes on uh, our next episode cycle starting on t- or Tuesday. That, that's not the word. No. The New it's Year's. Friday. <laughs> we always yes, release it's on always on Fridays. Friday. New episodes every Friday. Wow. The mic really got you that time. Yeah. The mic does psych damage, y'all. It just... Every time this microphone turns on, we just feel like we get 20% less there yep. up in our minds. It's, it's gone. It's whatever. It's yeah, fine. Keep an eye out for those episode, or that next episode cycle starting New Year's. We got some fun announcements coming out that day. Yes. Um, keep an eye out and stick around with us to learn some nonsense. Yes. In the meantime, happy holidays. Yes. If you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. If you don't, happy holidays. I... Happy Hanukkah, Merry Kwanzaa, um, Happy Toy Day, Animal Crossing players. (laughs) I don't know. What? Toy Day. That's a thing? It's it's an Animal Crossing event. Happy, uh, what's what's the Fortnite one? Winterfest. I only know video game events. I'm sorry. I'm a horrible Happy Yuletide. That covers a lot of things. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Also Yule. It's a great word. Yule? Yuletide? It's just those two words together. It's it's a great time. Spider-Man. Why would you say that? Bye! Slap here!